Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. Back with Vox Day. He is a multiple-time Hugo Award nominee who writes epic fantasy as well as nonfiction, including books that I highly recommend, such as Social Justice Warriors Always Lie, Taking Down the Thought Police, and Conservative: How Conservatives Betrayed America. He is also a professional game designer. I believe he came up with Ping Pong, and he maintains a pair of popular blogs, Vox Populi and Alpha Game. He is the lead designer of Next Generation Wikipedia Replacement, now with facts, Infogalactic, and also runs Castalia House Publishing. We will put links to all of his vital statistics and web presences below. Mr. Day, how are you? Very well. Good to see you. I, I'm, I'm curious. I've been asking everyone this. Are you tired of winning yet? Can I tell you how strange it is? You know how Michelle Obama said... Um, this is the first time, like when Barack Obama got uh, into power. It's the first time she felt proud of her country. I am so unused to reading the news without like a biohazard suit on, without like crash protection, without being curled into an anime style little ball in a corner, sucking my thumb and, and holding my binky saying, please don't let the news be too bad today. I can't tell you, Fox, how weird it is to wake up and look forward to reading the news. Like, I, 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 I can't even, literally shaking. <laughs> well, the thing that cracks me up is that is the watching the way the media is, is trying to figure out how to spin the report on the first set of actions. And before they've even figured out how to, to do that, the second one hits them. And while they're reeling from that, then they get punched in the face again. I mean... It's it's like watching uh, an NFL player beat up a junior high football player or something. I mean, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, I, I coined a, a term to refer to it: uh, third generation politics, because it's it's like watching the U.S. Marines go through the the Republican Guard. It's it's just incredible. This is a remarkable phenomenon, and people. I guess we're always wondering how it is that I knew so much about what Trump was going to do before he did it. And maybe you feel the same way. But for me, it's like, well, I've been an entrepreneur now for 25 years. I know how stuff gets done and I can recognize people who get stuff done. And of course, he's a far more successful entrepreneur than I am. So yes, you know that he's going to be busy. And he's the kind of guy, he gets into office and starts doing stuff. And it kind of makes you wonder, what the hell were all these other presidents doing? What the hell were they on about? Because this is how much you can get done if you're prepared to execute. Uh, and um, I think it's taking even the left by surprise how much is happening, how quickly. Well, what I noticed is that I think he's, he's uh, someone in his administration, probably Steve Bannon, is uh, incorporating some, content, uh, some, some concepts that, that we've covered um, you know, one thing he's definitely attacking is, um, you know, Mike Cernovich talks about the media cycle, not the, not the 24 hour news cycle, but the actual media cycle where, um, you know, they do their, they do, first they report the breaking news and then they do the context and then they do the analysis and then they report on the reaction to the original reports. And, um, I think that what, what he's done is he's, he's inside, you know, Newt Gingrich talked about the OODA loop. Uh, Colonel John Boyd's OODA loop. Um, it's a concept from uh, from fighter pilots, and it is very clear that you know Trump is so far inside the media's loop that you know he he's acting and hitting them two or three times. 
before they've even decided on how to react to the first thing. And so it's, it, it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's energizing people across the right. Um, you can even see that a lot of the really cucky uh, Dennis Prager, um, Rod Dreher, uh, Jonah Goldberg types, they are all suddenly wanting to warm up to Trump. You know, they're, they're wanting to kind of edge over, edge over and get back on the, you know, get back on the winning team. Um, and, and so it's fascinating to see. I, uh, I'm of two minds about this, which is why I'm not in politics. But part of me is like, sorry, you were kicking over the ammo box in the thick of the fight and not bringing us the water when we needed it, let alone helping out in the thick of the fight. You don't get to line up for a medal afterwards. No forgiveness, no forgetting, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, I guess you have to build a consensus to get things done. So I'm kind of half and half about this kind of stuff, like seeing how Paul Ryan is kind of getting in line. But, of course, remembering all the stuff he did before the election, um, uh, I don't know. Um, wh- where would you stand along that continuum of uh, no no retreat, no surrender to the traitors? On the other hand, you know, building the consensus is kind of how you get things done. Well, I, I think that, first of all, the, there's a difference between the politicians and the media. Um, Trump has to work with Ryan. He has to work with McConnell. Uh, in fact, he, he did a really good job of schooling them today. It was beautiful. He talked about how the uh, he wanted his commerce secretary confirmed and he felt that he should have been confirmed except for the fact that uh he, he made it reference to the fact that they're, they're slow with the pen over there and, and you know the he's talking about this house and the senate just saying they're not fast enough and so here he has to go and meet with the prime minister of great britain and talk about a trade deal that's you know Theresa may is primarily there to talk about the trade deal and he said i have to go and do it without my commerce secretary and then he, he just smiled, you know, that, that sort of smug, happy smile and said, that's okay, I'll do it myself. <laughs> and the thing is, you know that everyone is thinking, oh my gosh, get this guy confirmed tomorrow. The last thing we want is Trump deciding that he wants to negotiate, that you know, we end up with, with London or Westminster Abbey or something like that. Uh, you know, who knows what Trump's going to negotiate. So... Um, you know, he's, he's definitely uh, working those politicians that he needs to work with. He's putting pressure on them, but he's doing it in a lighthearted way. He's doing it um, without putting too much pressure. The, the conservative media, on the other hand, you, you know, I don't think that um, we can trust them to be opinion leaders again. Mm. I, don't think, I don't think they should be trusted because the, clearly their judgment is poor. Um, they're, uh, they're just really not trustworthy. And, you know, why should someone, I mean, mean, a number of people have said this to me when I've been doing um, these periscopes, they've said, you know, why should we trust people that were not on our side? Why, why shouldn't we listen to people like Cernovich and Milo and, and, you know, and, and you, Stefan, people who were, clearly on the side of the the Trump who are on board with the Trump train long before it became obvious that that he was going to win or or had won already and and that that's a valid point i'm not saying that we should kick these people in the teeth and treat them like sjw's they're not but i do think that um you know they they should not be expecting to you know run to the front of the parade like they like they want to do I just want to see some abasement. That's all. I mean, I'm perfectly willing to forgive people who've made mistakes 
but I need for them to own that mistake. I need for them to root around in the cellar of their soul and figure out what caused all these rats to scurry out and chew down the flagpoles of the new dawn. That's what I need. I need some soul searching. I need some reflection. I want to see them uh, come out uh, of a confessional booth with spiritual bruises all over their head. I need them to figure out what the hell they did, how the hell it went so wrong, and then, and only then, in my particular opinion, uh, are they welcomed back in the fold. Call me a little Old Testament, but that's how it rolls in my neck of the woods. Well, I think that there's an interesting situation uh, evolving here because, you know, on the one hand, you've got people who are more extreme like me, you know, the, the, the alt-right, and then you've got the people that are, you know, somewhere in between the conventional conservatives and where we are, you know, what I call the alt-light. Um, and, you know, obviously there's good relationships between those two, but like next week, I'm going to, I'm going to debate a guy named Jack Murphy. Um, originally he was going to debate Richard Spencer, um, didn't work out for whatever reason. And, uh, so I, I volunteered one of the Castellia authors, Ivan Throne is, is, is hosting it. And it, it's going to be interesting, but, you know, I just, I strongly feel that the alt-light is those who are not yet ready to fully accept reality. You know, they're still clinging to some of the myths of civic nationalism and, and some of the things that, you know, frankly, I mean, things that I believed in, the things that most of us believed in. Um, but, you know, as time has gone on, you know, we all, we all believed in free trade before NAFTA delivered it for us. <laughs> now, now we know what it really is and nobody wants anything to do with it. And, and that's why we're seeing, you know, the, the, the popularity of, of Trump's moves against it. Um, I think with a lot of the civic nationalism issues, the tribalism issues, the identity issues, um, I, I think that the conservatives and the alt-light are eventually going to move over to the alt-right position simply because those are the only ones that actually correspond with reality and current events and what we, what we see around us. It's kind of funny because I don't know ever where I'm heading ideologically, except towards the truth and reason and evidence as, as best as I can discern them and, and as much as I can will myself to move in that direction, which is, I think, fairly considerable. But I know that there's a lot of people out there, perhaps I can just speak to them directly for a moment, who feel that, that getting me to their particular position is like feeding a nervous squirrel uh, with, with perhaps human scraps. I don't know. But because they're all like, oh, he's made this. He's getting closer. He's made this point. He's taken this now. He's criticizing this particular thing. He's getting closer. Be patient. He's coming in. And I don't know, like they're, they're just trying to catch a, a sparrow or something <laughs> with their bare hands or something. But it is fascinating to, to think that however radical I may feel uh, I am relative to where I was uh, in, in my youth. Boy, there's, there's a lot of people a lot further out who are looking at me as if I'm coming along. And again, I don't know exactly what that journey is. Philosophy is reason and evidence uh, until you can't stop doing reason and evidence, which means you're dead. But uh, it is fascinating to see those people who are ahead turning around and leaving some breadcrumbs uh, to see where, where they can get people to go. Well, you know, see, I don't, I don't really like that attitude because it, it – is a sort of expression or a posture of superiority that I don't think is justified because all of us are in process and you know, there's not a single human being who understands the truth, small T or the truth, capital T um, in its fullness. You know, I mean, for me, one of the most meaningful verses in the Bible, which I apply to my, secular philosophy as well, 
is where Paul says, now we see as though through a glass darkly. You know, now this is somebody who, who, you know, according to the, the scriptures, actually did have a direct face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, I haven't had that. Most of us haven't had that, and I don't know anyone who actually claims to have had that. So, and yet this guy still said, hey, I don't understand it. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. Um, you know, what, what I get is, what I see is obscured. And, and, and that's true of all of us. You know, if you, if you look at what you believe 10 years ago, if I look at what I believe 10 years ago, my thinking has transformed considerably because I have more evidence to sift. And, and so, and, and it's not just that I have more evidence to sift, things have happened. You know, when you, when you read it, for me, it's very frustrating when I, I talk to economists who are you know, spouting Ludwig von Mises, who's a great thinker, a great man, extremely perspicacious. And yet, you know, if you're, if you're writing something that happened in 19, if, if you're reading a book from 1927, things have changed since then. You know, human nature hasn't changed but technology has changed to the point that we can actually test out some of the things that were only theory before. And, and that's another important uh, concept that I always like to apply, which is let reason be silent when experience gainsays its conclusions. You can reason all you want, but you know, if, if, if after you test it out, that reason just doesn't work, well, then you made a mistake somewhere and you have to accept that. Well, that's the basic scientific method that um, the experimental results trump the theory every single time because it's supposed to be describing reality. And if I have a theory about how to get to Las Vegas uh, and we end up in Anchorage, Alaska, it doesn't really matter what my theory was. It just took us in the wrong uh, direction. Now, one of the things I think that's come out of this election process, which I find fascinating, it was not too surprising to me. Um, those who studied history know that the left is usually a hair trigger away from outright violence, particularly when they don't get their way. You know, like uh, like all dictators, they're fine when they're in a good mood and they're getting their way. It is when their will is crossed that you see this eruption. And I think for a lot of people who are in the middle, and even some of the more clear-thinking people on the left, it's not just that there are these lunatics out there, you know, these blackhead-clad lunatics with their face kerchiefs, ooh, so edgy, uh, you know, they're smashing things and people and setting fire to limos and so on. It's the fact that there seems to be a significant contingent on the left who are like, yeah, I'm fine with that because they're Nazis. So because they're Nazis, we can hit them in the head with a bat. We can punch them in the air. We can sucker punch them. We can do all of this. We can threaten to release um, acid into their ventilation system when they're having a party because they're Nazis. And I think a lot of people are beginning to understand something. Let me sort of give you a, a little sort of personal history about my thinking along these lines. When I was a kid, my mom would have a bad temper sometimes. And when she'd come home and be in a bad mood, she'd kind of stalk around the house and she would look for things to be upset about. Like you can't just go in and yell at people because then you just look like a crazy person and no one gives you any legitimacy, right? So you have to find something. Ah, I asked for this to be put away and it wasn't put away. And then you can escalate from there every single time. You can crank yourself up into a morally self-righteous fervor. Uh, and um, uh, and then you can get angry. You can blast people and so on. And it, it gives the veneer of legitimization. And so a lot of people think that um, the left does an analysis, calls people Nazis, and then justifies their violence. And that's wrong. It's wrong to justify their violence uh, based on the fact that they're Nazis. I don't think 
that's the way it works at all. I think they want to unleash violence, and so they use the word Nazi to give it a justification. I mean, my brother and I had very different opinions on this. But my, my mom would come home in a bad mood. Well, before she'd come home, he'd be like, well, what if she's in a bad mood, right? We got we to gotta tidy, we got to clean up, we got to make sure everything's spit spot, right? And I was like, it doesn't matter. You know, if she's in a bad mood, she finds something. It doesn't matter. Like, we, we can't take ownership of, of what's going to happen that way. And right. I think this aspect of the violence of the left, uh, they wish to intimidate. They wish to brutalize. They wish to terrorize. And therefore, they invent all of these racist, sexist, uh, homophobic, Islamophobic terms, not because they believe them and would be uh, reasonable if they were talked out of these adjectives or these descriptors, but because they really want to do some serious damage. And the way they do it is to justify it by generating these labels as a cover for the violence they're going to enact either way. Well, I think that's part of it. I think that that certainly describes it for the fairly small minority that wants to engage in that kind of violence. I mean, the thing that's interesting, uh, you know, Mike Cernovich and I were talking about this is that, um, you know, both he and I have heard a lot of threats over the years. Um, but nobody's ever punched us like, uh, happened to Richard Spencer twice the other day. And, you know, maybe it's because we both lift weights and I did, you know, martial arts and he was a boxer and, and that's sort of like, yeah, so they're not, they're not completely out of control and outrage. I mean, it's, it's very clear that they're doing what they think they can get away with. Well, I'm um, sorry to interrupt, but if James O'Keefe hadn't had unmasked these people who wanted to drop the acid in the ventilation system and set off the sprinklers, uh, he would have got much worse than a punch, I would argue. Oh, yeah, you, you may well be right. Um, the, uh, the, uh, but, but, but like I said, the, there's a lot more lefties running around calling people Nazis than there are uh, lefties who actually want to get into any sort of physical violence. I mean, look at them. <laughs> Most of them are, are either you know, severely overweight, drug-addled, psychological wrecks. You know, these are not, they, I don't care how much they talk about violence and that sort of thing. These are not people who actually want to engage in it they might they might you know have some some fantasy of it but you, you know they're they're not going to do that um there, there are a few but so but i do think that what you're talking about the, the psychological construct that you're talking about is correct because it it, it their goals go well beyond violence their primary goal is to intimidate people into not defying them that, you know, violence, they may be interested in violence, but their primary goal is submission. And so if they can get, uh, you know, they don't, I mean, maybe they might like, somebody might like to punch you in the mouth. You know, I'm sure there's a few lefties who would, but a lot more of them would really like you to stop doing podcasts. You know, they're much more concerned about the fact that you have an influence over hundreds of thousands of people. You're, you know, You've, you've influenced my thinking and, and, and I influence others. And so they want to stop that process. That's, that's the main thing that they want to do. Now, maybe the more extreme of them are, are willing to go to those, you know, those levels of violence that you talk about. And obviously that's a huge mistake because let's face it, there's more than a few people on our side who are um, kind of looking forward to the gloves coming off, you know? Um, I mean, it's uh and that's something that, that is, you know, obviously something that 
uh, people are concerned about because when the, when our side takes the gloves off, um, we just tend to steamroll everything, you know, because we don't like to mess around with the, the, the posturing and all that. But, um, but the most important thing that they're trying to accomplish with calling, you know, everybody a Nazi is to try to convince people that, that we should not be listened to. You know, I get called, I get called a Nazi all the time. Um, it was kind of funny because I was actually interviewing yesterday the former deputy speaker of the Israeli Knesset or Knesset. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and it, it was it was sort of amusing because I, I, had, I had to warn him. I said, you know, hey, you, you'll look it up. You'll probably find that um, that I get accused of being a Nazi from time to time and whatnot. <laughs> and he kind of laughed and said, yeah, um, we, we sort of assume that if you're willing to interview me, that's probably not the case. <laughs> so, but, 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 but the, but the important thing is, is that they want, they want to silence us. And, you know, maybe some of them do want to actually um, inflict violence and that sort of thing. And if that's the case, you know, we'll be ready for it. Um, but the, 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 and, and we have to be ready for it. You know, one of the things that I, I criticize Richard Spencer about with that whole thing is, you know, why are you giving an interview in the street? You don't, you don't even have your back to a wall. You, you have no spotter. You have no bodyguards. People want to hurt you. There are people who threaten me. And so it doesn't mean we have to be afraid. It just means that we have to be ready. And so, you know, Roosh was, was very good about that um, when he was on his, his tour. Um, and, and everybody who is on the right, whether you're someone who's a public figure or whether you're just somebody who you know, works with people who are, you know, batshit crazy SJWs, need to be aware of, of the possibility that these people are unhinged and some of them are, are definitely prone to violence. Well, sure. And I recognize that there's a tiny minority of people on the left who would be willing to engage in that kind of violence. But to me, it's the implicit permission of not the explicit disavowal, of not the infiltration of your own groups. I mean, if there were people on the right, and again, I don't know where I landed this particular continuum, but if there were people on the right who were organizing these kinds of things, there would be people on the right who would be like, no, 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 no. We are not at that place in society. We are going to work uh, with reason. We're going to work with evidence. We're going to work through legal channels. Uh, and, and I think that there would be a very strict and strong disavowal, rejection, and dismantling of those particular aggressors within uh, the movement. Uh, and so to me, it's not so much the people who want to do the violence. I mean, they'll be there. But it's all the people who are like, you know, I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, you know, deep down, I don't mind that this guy got punched or I don't mind that they're threatening this deplorable with with all of these uh, activities. I don't mind that they're going to chain up the subway. I, I don't mind that they're going to turn on the sprinkler systems and drop acid into the van. I'm okay with that because they're just so evil. And to me, it's those enablers that really need to be viewed clearly and coldly. And that's partly because it's the right thing to do, right? I mean, violence as a manifestation of other people's implicit acceptance and support of that violence is a really, really key ingredient. You know, it's a little bit of sp a spice that makes the soup uh, taste a particular kind of way. A lot of the uh, ingredients of the soup are kind of inert, but it's that little pinch of something or other that gives it its particular flavor. And given that it's wrong in general, and also given, of course, that the left is continually demanding the people on the right disavow this person and disavow that person and reject the actions or the approach or the strategy or the rhetoric or of this or that person, um, where's all of this disavowal going? Where are the people on the left saying, no, 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 we're going to root these people out. We're going to find their funders. We're going to make sure that this is not how this debate is going to be conducted in society. There's not much of that 
than I can see going on among the left? Well, there's none, and there, there will be none, because uh, if they weren't hypocritical and incoherent, <laughs> they wouldn't be on the left in the first place. Okay. And so, you know, I mean, the, the thing is, is that there's, there's no, the, the, you know, the, the call of the conservative that we like to make fun of is, uh, you know, Democrats are the real racists. Mm. And, you know, this is supposed to be effective dialectic that, um, you know, that, that all the moderates, all the moderate Republicans and all the, the conservatives, they're constantly trying to cite some facts and figures and, and prove to the left that, in fact, they are the real racists. Well, that doesn't do any good whatsoever because they don't care. They don't see themselves that way. They don't define themselves that way. And so, therefore, that's not true. You know, they, they don't pay any attention. You know, they're not philosophers like you. They're totally ruled by emotion. Now, they're the type that Aristotle described as being only uh, convinced or, or being incapable of being convinced by information. They can only be convinced by emotion. And I, I think um, it's anonymous conservative who's done the, the best work on this. Um, he's, he's traced it back to um, uh, the amygdala and the way that it gets trained to, to react. And, and, and most SJWs, the more extreme leftists, they tend to be utterly ruled by emotion and they're utterly ruled by attempting to avoid emotional pain. So that's why they're constantly talking about you know, how much they care about this and how much they care about that and they care more than you do and that makes them a better person, all that sort of thing. All of it is about constructing this, this huge web of deceit around themselves in an in a attempt to protect their sensitivity. If you notice, an awful lot of these people are also on various drugs that are meant to provide, you know, provide the same, um, uh, provide an alternate mechanism for doing the same thing, which is protecting them from emotional pain. Now, um, this is why the alt-right is fundamentally much more effective than conservatives, because, you know, instead of trying to convince them of anything, we are successfully able to change their thinking by inflicting more emotional pain on them that's why people, that's why, here's what you're going to see. Here's a prediction. Some of the crazier lefties are going to be fans of Donald Trump within three years. I mean, people that were, that totally hated Donald Trump, hated everything about him because, and it doesn't make any sense from a rational perspective, but the reason is the more popular that Trump gets, the more uh, emotional pain and the more cognitive or the more emotional dissonance it's going to cause those people and they're going to flip. It's like an off switch. It just, it, it'll flip. And then suddenly they will love him. It happened with Ronald Reagan. I remember it happening with certain people that, you know, people that talked about Ronald Reagan and, and how he was going to destroy the world and all this sort of thing. And by the, by the time he is, he went, came up for reelection, they were voting for him and putting Reagan Bush stickers on their car. And I remember at the time thinking, how is that even possible? And now, thanks to the anonymous conservative sort of RK, amygdala, blah, blah, blah um, explanation, at least you have a functional predictive model that explains the behavior and actually offers us a chance to predict this happening. So it'll be, you know, in a couple of years, you can call me back on it and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see if that 
if that prediction played out or not. But um, it, it is a useful perspective, and I think it's one that that uh, you know, bears looking into for people. Yeah, I've got a whole presentation. Of course, the anonymous conservative book is, is excellent. I've got a whole presentation called Gene Wars, which goes into some of the left-right paradigms around this. And also in the research I'm doing um, for a book I'm writing uh, on, on how to make an argument, which I probably should have started my entire career with, but better late than never. Um, you, you got a publisher for that yet? No. <laughs> we'll talk. But um, it is um, – uh, the, the more estrogen you have, the more your brain reacts uh, in a stronger emotional way to negative stimuli. And the more testosterone you have, the more your analytical brain responds to uh, negative stimuli. So you try and puzzle it and figure it out, figure out the principles and figure out not just emotionally reacting to it, but how to minimize it for the future. And given that there's been a fairly catastrophic decline in male testosterone uh, in the West for uh, – it's been measured since the 80s and it's gone down about 20 percent, which is – Kind of significant, I think. This is one of the reasons why we have this very strong emotional reaction where people say, I'm offended, I'm upset, that's inappropriate, that's shocking, I'm appalled, can't breathe, you know, all this kind of... They're, they're simply confessing that negative stimuli is provoking such unmanageable emotions within them that uh, it's like if someone comes up with, you know, like a, uh, a blender straight in your face, or, you're like, ah, right? I mean, they're just recoiling. But the good news is that you can train yourself out of it, you know, progressive... Uh, exposure, right? Like if you've got a fear of spiders, you look at a picture of a spider, then you look at a spider under a glass, and then eventually you can let the spider uh, walk in you, and then you wake up screaming. No, wait, that's that's just me. But um, this progressive exposure, I, I think to sort of shore up what you're saying, Vox, as they get exposed to negative stimuli, Trump is going to cut funding to to NPR and and PBS and and you know the 700 station web of leftist propaganda is going to have to either go dark or meet up at the free market or donors or something like that. And they, this is the worst thing ever. This is the new, you get this apocalyptic feeling. And, and a lot of these celebrities have been talking about this stuff. Like, I don't know how to get out of bed in the morning. Now the Trump is one. It's like, you know what? You'll get out of bed. You know, a lot of people felt there was going to be a lot of disasters when Obama got into president uh, presidency. And we all got out of bed and we continued on with our lives and we worked to make things better. As you get exposed to these negative stimuli, you learn how to manage them in a better way. So you're being trained out of your reactive hysteria by being exposed to uh, opposing viewpoints, opposing information, assuming you don't double down and go full on, you know, uh, evil with a, with a, an axe handle or something. So I think we are helping people learn how to reason better by exposing them to negative stimuli. It is the pain. You learn how to manage the anxiety and you learn how to think afterwards. Because the more people get emotionally triggered, the more their neofrontal cortex shuts down. They go dark. They go primitive. They go simian. Uh, but you can be trained out of that. And I think that's one of the things that the Trump presidency is going to do for people. Yeah, you know, I mean, I really think that 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 makes me feel good about myself and, and what a good person I am for, um, you know, <laughs> figuring... pain, right? I'm not a sadist. I'm just helping you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I'm actually thinking of requesting, uh, that my loyal, uh, bile faceless minions, you know, refer to me as the Supreme cuddly Lord. Um, you know, cause we're all about the hugs and the love and the stimulating the neocortex. Yeah, we are training the amygdala to develop a bit of a hide, a bit of an armadillo skin, a bit of an exoskeleton, uh, a bit of a force shield. And that way you can walk through life without feeling like you're a pinball bouncing off the negative exposures you're getting. And you don't end up having a – they say, well, why do people need this echo chamber? It's not just confirmation bias. That's part of it. 
a lot of people who are this kind of hypersensitive reaction overlords or underlords, I guess, they need an echo chamber for the same reason that they try not to stick forks into electrical outlets because the shock, the, the, the unpleasantness, it can cause them to spiral out of control for a long time. I mean, I can't imagine if, if you know, like I boot up my browser, I read something, I'm like, I have to go back to bed. I can't get out of bed for a week now. I mean, that would be a pretty debilitating way to live. And of course, a lot of people are like that. You know, you've got, you got Hollywood producers saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting on 30 pounds because I'm stress eating because Donald Trump is president. Like if my entire weight rhythm, my health was all dependent upon this stuff, I mean, I'd be pretty hysterical too. And I'd also only want to hang around people who reflected my own opinions because alternative opinions can be existentially destabilizing for me. Well, it is interesting to see the converse effect because it's very clear that the God Emperor is energizing the right. I mean, you know, it, it's it's amazing how enthusiastic uh, people are. I mean, it, it's fun. I, I like it now when I, I get phone calls from people, you know, about stuff that has nothing to do with politics, and they just have this this high energy to them, and there's no other way to, to phrase it. And it, it's always funny because whenever I get a call from somebody like that, and they're all kind of pumped up for no reason, they will always you know, we'll be talking about anything from a, a, a book we're working on to a, a game that's in development or this sort of stuff. And then suddenly you'll be like, did you see the, did you see the, the latest executive order? You know, and these, these are people who don't follow politics at all, you know, and, and, and it's just the, the, the energy and the confidence is, um, it, it's almost forming a sort of, uh, uh, virtuous circle that that is is you know the, there's more success more people are inspired to do stuff and, and and you know it's because we're so used to getting pounded on by the media we're so used to the elections and and referendums and all these sort of things not going our way pretty much since pretty much since you know reagan died well and, and, so, and promises being made that uh, you're a sucker to believe in well, yeah, I mean, that, that was, to, to, to be honest, for me, that was much more painful. The, the Bush years um, were much more painful than the Obama or the Clinton years because you don't expect anything <laughs> right. out of Bill Clinton or Barack Obama. You know, and, and the thing is, you know better than to expect something out of a George W. Bush, but you kind of hope anyhow, you, you know, I mean, I never voted for the guy, but um, I voted libertarian, but it, it, you still kind of, you hoped. You know, because he would say things like, we we need to have a humble foreign policy and all this sort of thing. We're not in the nation next, building. No, no, yeah, not us. Yeah. You know, next thing you know, we're invading seven different countries and occupying three of them. And you're like, you can't, what are you supposed to do? I mean, on the one side, you've got the enemy. And then on the other side, you've got this person who says some of the right stuff and does exactly the same thing the enemy does. And so that's why I think that, I, I think that uh, the right is so giddy and is so uh, energized is because for the first time pretty much since Reagan they have a leader who actually does what he says he's going to do rather than try to curry favor with the left and and you and I both know that currying favor with the left is just pointless because it no matter what you do no matter how many steps you make no matter how many compromises you offer they always want more because again what they're seeking is total submission. 
they're not they're not looking to compromise you know they don't even understand the meaning of the term and so um you know it, it's just um but getting back to what you were talking about the the um the, the negative impacts on them you know one of the things that we need to do if we want to help them is we need to up that pressure you know like i would encourage all your listeners uh, um uh, somebody asked me you know, what do I do with my friends on Facebook? You know, I've got these these left friend, left wing friends, these liberal friends on Facebook, and you know they're always saying stupid stuff about Trump. You know, what what uh, what do I do? And I said, it's really simple. All you have to do is every time you refer to Donald Trump, you refer to him as the God Emperor. <laughs> you know, it is amazing how that just stops them dead in their tracks. I mean. I've actually seen, I was talking to someone the other day and I, I mentioned that because it was a, it, it was a, I think Dutch, but anyway, a, a European and they were, you know, saying, isn't, isn't this terrible about, you know, the, the, the election of this Donald Trump? I said, you mean the God emperor? And I said, what did you say? I said, the God emperor. And their jaw literally went, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it, and that, that just, basically issues that shock that you're you're talking about because they don't even have a context to to deal with that they have they have no they have no insults they have no comebacks they, they yeah, you can't say the god emperor of racism i mean where that would become completely incomprehensible right yeah and so it's you know just keep triggering them because that's how they're going to come around to your way of thinking you know it, it, it Constantly trying to reason with them isn't going to work. I mean, what's that they say? You can't reason somebody out of a position they haven't reasoned themselves into in the first place. Um, and you really can't do it when you're dealing with people who are highly irrational, extremely emotional, and very, very sensitive to psychological pain. The only way you can flip them is to administer more psychological pain. And, and, and it's not the kind of pain like calling them ugly or fat or whatever. I mean, that, 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 can be appropriate at times, but but in this case, you want to look at what's upsetting them. We know what's upsetting them. It's Trump, and so you know that's why. Um, I mean, I love I love wearing this this um, Trump slide shirt. Um, I mean, it just it, it's so funny because when people see it, like they, they either get this big smile, <laughs> or they just get this like stricken horrified look in their face and, and and either way you know you you to win the every good general knows you want to increase your morale and you want to lower your enemy's morale and that's what we do they will conform to the strongest elements in the room in general this is true of most people we have a great right. capacity for, you know for obviously tens of thousands of years of survival instincts, we figure out, we, we, we get into an area, we figure out who has the most power and we conform to them. And then afterwards we'll say, well, it's because they're the best people around. But it's like the left has had all the power. They have been dominating the right. They've dominated media. They've dominated uh, the uh, the academic institutions, the universities and so on. They've dominated Hollywood. They've, domin they've, they've, they've dominated publishing, as you've sort of written about vociferously and, and uh, rightly so. And the fact now that there's a power in the room that they have always been told is vaguely satanic, but they've never really seen. <laughs> now it's manifested and uh, it looks 
fairly friendly, fairly energetic, fairly positive, is achieving some results that I'm sure they could agree with. It's hard to say it's really terrible that he's bringing all these jobs back to America, which he was doing before he even got into the White House, which to me is remarkable. You remember Barack Obama saying, wow, is he going to create all these jobs? It's it. Does he have some kind of magic? It's like, no, he has a phone call. He has phone call. He has arguments. He has charisma. He has energy. He has dedication. He has experience. He has negotiation. He's not a community organizer. He can get things done. He can build things. You can blow things up, 20,000 bombs a year, but he can build things. And that, I think, is remarkable to people that the devil they've always been talked about but they've never seen is now manifest and doesn't look anything like they were told. That does shake people's worldview, opens up a few cracks where the light just might be able to get in. Right. No, that's that's uh, that's absolutely true. But, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, one of the reasons that, that um, I started InfoGalactic was for precisely the reason that you're talking about. And it's the same reason, you know, I think that, that you've created this alternative media of your own. Um, and that's because we need to give people the alternatives to those things. We need to keep, give people, it's not just about um, teaching people and it's not just about uh, transferring information, but it's also about allowing them, giving them a place where they can not be under assault all the time. You know, the, I mean, one of the reasons why there are some people on our side who are, you know, let's say not very nice people or something is because they're some of the only people who could handle the pressure. Hmm. You know, I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of nicer people in the media than me. Uh, I'm not a particularly nice guy. I mean, there's a reason why my own supporters call me Supreme Dark Lord. Right. Um, but the that was necessary and and one of the the responsibilities that we have is to provide an umbrella to those people who who will be able to come out and and maybe even do more than we can um you know w without having to to endure the constant barrage of, of negativity and hate and and anger um that you and I have both experienced for the past 10, 15 years. Let me ask you something else. We both come from a libertarian background, and I never really thought I'd ever ask this question. Fox, what the fuck is it with libertarians? What the fuck is it with libertarians? I'm not going to mention too many names. Drew Carey's a big libertarian because, you know, it's, it's really important to be a libertarian when you sell your soul to speak into a penis microphone on The Price is Right. But uh, Drew Carey, big libertarian, his son is out there cussing out the president and setting fires and stuff like that. A, little, a young kid, and I, I feel sort of more sorry for him than anything. He's not exactly got an adult's uh, independence or anything like that. Uh, Gary Johnson. <laughs> why? The high just got 10 feet waller. I mean, why, <laughs> why, 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 why am I seeing his tongue in interviews? Why? 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 Reason. Dot. Why? 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 What is so wrong with a guy who wants to cut the federal government by twenty percent? What is so wrong with a guy who wants to simplify the tax code and slash taxes considerably? What is wrong with the guy who wants to get out of NATO? What is wrong with the guy who wants to substantially cut America's ties to the United Nations? What the hell is wrong? What is wrong with libertarians that this is a big giant problem for them? And a lot of them were eyeing the canker a sourcecape of Hillary's empty vessel called a prior soul. Like, what the hell is wrong with libertarians? I just, whew, I don't even feel better, well, but I just feel a little, a little purged. 
It was impressive. I, I, mm. I have to admit, I could have um, done that for about three days, but I decided not to. So go ahead. The main <sighs> problem is that, that they're not libertarians. I mean, not not in any meaningful sense. Um, you know, libertarian these days largely means um, I'm a Democrat, but uh, I'm, I'm a white Democrat, but I, I don't really want to sign on for all the really the extreme craziness and you know i mean gary johnson uh if you looked at his voting record and stuff i mean it wasn't it wasn't particularly libertarian i mean um for the most part about the only libertarian principle that they're any good on is the legalization of drugs i mean it, it's essentially at, at this point in time uh libertarian is is little more than a, a one issue party and, and I'm sorry, I mean, I'm for the legalization of drugs. I've never actually taken any drugs in my life, but I'm for it for a variety of non-initiation of force reasons and the fact that the state gets to be passive rather than actively hunting people and it saves money and it doesn't destroy people's lives with useless jail sentences and it diminishes uh, illegal crimes power and, and it uncorrupts the police force and the politicians to some degree. So I get all of that. But if you're not consistent, isn't it just because you want easier access to drugs? I mean, it's not doesn't seem like a very moral position for a lot of people. It isn't, you know, and um, I mean, I'm also pro legalization, um, as as he as everyone realizes that he didn't issue any similar caveat. Um, <laughs> but uh, a lot of people who claim to be libertarians. Uh, especially as related to that issue, they could not tell you what the non-aggression principle is. They have no idea uh, about anything related to free trade. I mean, uh, you know, and, and the, the average libertarian is pretty outdated anyhow, because they're still, they're still hung up on, on the free trade stuff, you know, from the 1950s, if, if not before. Um, you know, I, I was I was talking to one libertarian who was getting on my case about my position on trade, and he was he was citing Henry Hazlitt, which was kind of amusing to me because I've I've written a, a very detailed critique of Hazlitt's entire chapter on trade. But, uh, the book is Economics in One Lesson for those who want to go look it up. But sorry, go ahead. And uh, and I, I believe I, I specifically identified thirteen uh, significant flaws in his argument. And what was funny about it was that I, I, I finally got fed up with the guy. I said, you know, maybe you'd like to read something newer than, you know, 1952 or whenever it was, was published. I mean, you know, yes, there's, there's wisdom in the old stuff. But, you know, this was something that was written before the current free trade regime. And so he just didn't have a tremendous amount of information that we have. And, and with a lot of libertarians, I think that they are, you know, they, they tend to be the sort of folks who are very hung up on theory and, and don't necessarily pay a lot of attention to the second part of the process. You know, they, they like to find a hypothesis, or a hypothesis that attracts them, but they don't actually want to test it. You know, mm. They just want to keep playing with the hypothesis. I was actually quite convinced that the word libertarian was Greek for demographics are invisible to me, because that seems to me the big divide. And that certainly was the 20,000 volt Frankenstein jolt to the 
base of my brain was learning about the demographics, the sort of um, the um, demographic winter, the the breeding rates of various uh, ethnic groups, IQ, all this kind of stuff. That to me was like, holy shit, it's time to get out of the ivory tower, people. <laughs> it's time to stop theorizing. There's no point writing a book on firefighting when your very fire building is on fire. So that was one of the things that kind of got me up and going. But trying to get libertarians to wake up to mm, basic realities like demographics, like culture, like history, like human biodiversity like race and iq it's like i'm sorry the patient died four years ago and you're still trying to do some cpr to them that to me has been the biggest barrier and for a group that claims that they really are into empirical evidence and facts and all that kind of stuff they just back away from that topic like it just it's a ghost they claim doesn't exist but they won't go anywhere near it well but you know they're they're they've got a mild case of what we're talking about with the sjw's i mean it it, it causes them pain because their identity is in question. And, and I understand that. You know, it was it was very difficult for me to I mean I, I was I was going with what what do I even call myself? You know, I because <laughs> I'd identified myself as a Christian libertarian for a long time. And um it was actually kind of funny when when I announced that I could no longer call myself a Christian libertarian. Of course you know you're like Christian anymore? <laughs> You are half right. <laughs> but but the, the thing is, we were talking about borders and free trade. I mean, I I would have thought that they would have understood implicitly that that would go to the libertarian side. Not you know, I don't really recall you know Jesus spending a lot of time talking about tariffs. But you know, anyhow. Um, but you know, so I was like, I was like, well, I, I'm you know maybe I'm more of a, like a a national libertarian, you know, that kind of thing. And then, the, the, but the more I kept looking into it and stuff, I realized, you know, that, that just doesn't even fit anymore. I mean, right. I, I still, uh, I'm still a libertarian idealist. You know, um, there are people who don't, who understand that communism is not a viable economic system, who are still communist at heart. You know, that they, they, they refer to it saying it's a beautiful dream, it just won't work. You know, I, I get that. I mean, I, I, I I'm not the, no, I, it's not my dream. But I, but, but the libertarian dream to me is something that it, it would be great to be able to believe that. But I'm no longer able to believe that because of the demographic issue, because of the logical issues that apply to a libertarian state. And, and, and basically, libertarianism is as fundamentally utopian and as fundamentally impractical as communism or as femina, feminism. If you follow any of those ideologies to their logical end, it's very clear that a feminist society, a communist society, or a libertarian society cannot survive. And so a libertarian society might be okay in a bubble, but, um, but we don't live in a bubble. We live in the real world, and, and so it's not right. possible. That, that and, and I... I know what you mean. I mean, the, I would say that the most – there were two major sort of painful intellectual transitions for me. The, the first was recognizing that objectivism was uh, a, a smidge limited in, in certain <laughs> certain areas, a, areas which for me were kind of the whole point of philosophy. Uh, to me, everything is – you know, the whole point of, of medicine is health. The whole point of philosophy is is ethics and virtue because that's – Reason equals virtue equals happiness. I think that's a pretty good equation to work with. And um, recognizing that um, 
Ayn Rand did not have the answer to ethics was the first great pain. But with that pain comes great opportunity. Then I got to write a book on ethics um, and, and backfill what I saw as uh, catastrophic gaps, uh, gaps in a belief system. That was very painful. But out of that pain came an enormous amount of creativity and an enormous amount of certainty. And I'm enormously glad. Let me just use the word enormous one more time, if that's all right with you. But um, I'm enormously glad that I went through that transition before I became a public intellectual, because I had a, I've had a kind of consistency from that perspective. So Losing objectivist ethics, um, metaphysics and epistemology, I'm still pretty much down with it, but the ethics part was not there. That was very painful for me. And I remember I said to a friend of mine, like, I feel, I feel desolate. I feel, you know, I, I have turned myself into a, uh, a lunar desert of, of hope. It was a very, very, very tough transition, but out of it came some enormously positive stuff. And you learn that when you are uh, brokenhearted over the loss of an illusion, uh, that is where the rain comes in and things can actually grow. Real, real uh, trees, not ghost plants of the imagination. That but, was but number one. Can, sorry. sorry. But, then can, but, but then you can also understand why it's so hard for them to enter into that process. Think, I mean, they're avoiding the pain that you subjected yourself to. Yeah. And that's, the, that, that's their problem. But go, go on with your second point. Well, my, second? My, my second one was uh, human biodiversity, race and IQ, uh, demographic winter. Uh, this, this was to me uh, – and this one remains if, – if there's one thing that uh, I could wish – Disproven, it would be you know things like the bell curve and, and all this kind of this this to me is the most uh, painful uh, aspect of the knowledge that I have gathered and this all started a couple of years ago uh, for me. I actually had read the bell curve in the nineties, but um, it, it went past me. You know, oh, this is not my luggage, and around it goes, and it just kind of came and went, and then circling back, and of course interviewing Charles Murray and other people. This basic reality that. If you want to have a free society, you need at a bare minimum a floor of IQ 90 and significantly above that is considerable. And for reasons that are environmental or genetic or most likely some combination of the two, there are massive swaths of population in the world that don't get to IQ 90. That to but, me is uh, – you know that, that – um, Wisdom, uh, philosophy, universalism, uh, all of the stuff which we treasure in the West is not – as transferable as we might think. In fact, it doesn't seem to be transferable under current bell curve statistics at all, at all. And of course, it explains a huge amount of history, but that to me, it, it remains the biggest heartbreak and the one thing I wish were, were different uh, and, and would give my eye teeth uh, to, to get disproven, although the, the data does seem to be beyond um, uh, reproach. And I've had uh, people who say it's all environmental. I've had criminologists. I've had professors of every stripe and hue, and they all come down to the same thing. Human biodiversity is real. The bell curve is real. IQ is not evenly distributed in populations across the world. That, to me, is the biggest heartbreak. Um, but out of accepting that, some wonderfully creative dedications and possibilities emerge. Uh, that I just sort of wanted to pass. Like, I understand when people face these these um, intellectual challenges that seem to undo the very foundation of your belief system. But, you know, grit your teeth and hang on because what's on the other side of that is real clarity and real solutions. Well, I can understand that. You know, for me, uh, free trade was difficult. Um, you know, I, I grew up a free trader and grew up on Milton Friedman. But I think it was perhaps a little bit easier for me to make some of the changes <coughs> because – you know, I, I did not um, 
you know, for me, the difficult thing was becoming a Christian, um, which I, I was, I, I did almost unwillingly. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I, I went through a transformation that in some ways is kind of similar to what we're seeing Rush under go through. Um, just in the, um, you know, as a hedonist, because that was essentially my philosophy for, you know, uh, in my youth, um, it, it, suddenly you, you realize the point that the, the, the highs keep getting lower. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it got to the point where I had, as a hedonist, had shaved my head and thrown myself into a very heavy contact martial arts. And I realized now that I had done that simply because I was so frustrated and so uh, emptied out by the uh, whole playing a playing a techno band, chase models, all you know, all that sort of thing. It just it it it, it was almost like you 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 needed to get punched in the face in order to feel something, and and so maybe because of that experience, it, it's uh, I, I almost welcome now that uh, that intellectual pain you feel when you have that niggling doubt about something you, know, you, you think you you think you know the truth but you're almost a little bit afraid to <laughs> investigate that loose thread because you're afraid if you pull it the whole sweater is going to come apart but, but I, I've gotten to the point now where uh, if I see a loose thread I can't wait to pull on it because <laughs> right. Because, the, like you said, the, 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 the value, the, the pleasure that comes of it later, of, of going through that pain. You know, it's kind of like when you lift weights. You know, when you first start lifting weights and it hurts and, um, and you don't see any benefit from it, you know, it sucks. I mean, there's a reason why so many people go into a gym and they work out like a week or two and then they never come back. No, I hate but, that January. Oh, everyone's got their New Year's resolution, so I can't get a machine forever. And then three weeks later, it's like, tumbleweeds. Yeah. Um, I'm actually kind of excited. Our gym just, like, redid everything. And then so tomorrow we get to find out what they did. So, uh, you know, I'm all, I'm all psyched. Like, I wonder what new machines are going to be in there. I wonder, and my, my wife is, is what I would call a gym skeptic. So, you know, she's like, I just know they're going to they're gonna screw this up or they're not going to have this machine. It's kind of interesting to see the psychologies at work here. I don't know if there's anyone's ever studied the psychology of having your gym rearranged, but <laughs> it, might, it might be interesting. Anyhow, um, but the, the pain uh, is more than worth it because, you know, before long you're sitting there flexing in front of the mirror going, hey, check out, you know, I've got, I've got actual muscles. I didn't know I had, I didn't know I, I had I can muscles. move my nipples without jumping up and down. Woohoo! Here, let <laughs> but, me show you. But, but, Just kidding, go on. <laughs> But, it, but it's the same process at work. You know, it, it, it's the same, um, it's the same no pain, no gain. And if we're not going to, you know, I hope that if we're doing this in 10 years, that we're going to reach a greater understanding of the truth than we have right now. And, um, and I, I expect that we will because, um, and, and one of the reasons that I think that the alt-right is going to continue to grow and become more and more influential is because it's the only political philosophy right now that is actually in harmony with what we're seeing with regards to the human biodiversity 
and 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 trade and and all these controversial issues we're not hung up on the dogma we're willing to say you know what yeah that sucks but it's true so this wheel of history i've sort of talked about at this big presentation on um the, the fall of Rome, the sort of wheel of history, this sort of 10 generations kind of thing that, that goes along. Or, you know, as the old saying says, um, you know, hard times breed strong men, strong men breed good times, good times breed weak men, weak men breed bad times. Um, it feels, it's a terrible way to start an argument, I think, I think that it may be possible because of this amazing technology because of uh, the fact that we, you and I are able to have this conversation, which goes out to you know upwards of half a million people over time, just in the short run, and we'll go to millions and millions more over the long run, that there is a way of stopping this inevitable cycle. I mean, I'm convinced that the Trump revolution is the internet revolution. It's a bit of a cliche to say it, and it's not particularly insightful. But without alternative media correcting and and haranguing and nagging and nipping at the heels of the mainstream media, the facts wouldn't have come out. Just as the facts that are ruthlessly suppressed by the mainstream media are kind of seeping around uh, the edges, they're bleeding around the edges of the mainstream media dominance, uh, you know, like the uh, the mainstream media is going in front of the sun and we're like this diamond ring that comes off the, the, the edge of it. And um, I think this has the capacity to arrest this cycle of history and perhaps prevent Western civilization from going into the ash can as was, uh, it seemed inevitable, not even five, five years ago. And I think that power, the technology has given us the power perhaps to arrest the cycle of history. Um, to me, civilizations fundamentally die because they make so many compromises that truth becomes their enemy. And whenever you make truth your enemy, you're not long for this world. I can fly, you know, it just doesn't work very, very well. But the fact that we're able to keep truth and bring truth to the masses, bring reason, evidence, and arguments to the masses does give us not a big shot, but a strong shot to be able to arrest this giant wheel of history that has ground down so many civilizations before us. Do you think that it's possible? Do you think that uh, what you're doing, what I'm doing, what other people are doing is going to be able uh, to stop it uh, or at least slow it down enough uh, for some other solution to come across you? It doesn't feel inevitable anymore the way it did in the past. I think that Western civilization is going to survive. But I think that the political structures that we currently see will not. You know, I think that uh, I think that what we're doing is more planting the seeds. I don't think that we're the gardeners. Um, I think that times are going to get considerably harder, and that they're going to, you know, our our sons, our grandsons. Um, are going to be the hard men who can rebuild. And I think that they're going to be willing to do things that men like you and I would not be able to do. Um, you know, if you look at the, if you look at history, the, the, the great men have always been, uh, decisive, intelligent, and violent. The uh, whiff of grape shot that Napoleon talks about, which launched his career when he had to disperse a crowd, just fired cannons at them. The whiff of grape shot. And then through that, he ended up uh, building an empire. Right. And I think that that is, those are the people that are going to defend Western civilization. 
the Charles Martels. You know, we don't, um, it, you know, if you look around, you know, who is the Charles Martel? It's none of us. Um, you know, we, we're talkers, we're thinkers. Um, we're not doers. And it's going to take, um, it's going to take doers and it's going to take people that believe that they are justified in doing what they're doing. And yeah, but we're, we're laying the foundations for that justification, which I think is important. Precisely. And, and so, um, you know, the, the, if you want to, to use the flip side as an example, um, you know, we, we're, the, we're, more, we're more akin to the Marxes and the Gramskis or Gramsci's hmm. um, than we are to the, to the Lenins and Trotskys. Um, hmm. But the, the Lenins and Trotskys of the right will come because uh, they're going to be continually under pressure. You know, Donald Trump is going to help tremendously. You know, if, if Marine Le Pen wins, that would also help tremendously. But the one thing that we know about the left and the one thing that we know about evil is that it has to be defeated. And it's not going to be defeated by words in the end. And, um, you know, I don't know when, you know, right now we're still pretty fat and happy. You know, um, no one in, in across the West really lacks for much. You know, maybe you don't have, maybe you can't afford a PlayStation 4, but you're not, you're not starving. I mean, just look at the people and how fat and overweight they are. You know, I mean, we're literally physically soft. And so when the hard times come, and they will, you know, um, and, and Donald Trump can probably help very much in that regard because, you know, he actually has the, the will to, uh, to help build the infrastructure and help actually deal with the issues. So maybe when, when the, when the crash comes, it won't be as, there won't be as, as, as far to fall, but, uh, you know, at least he's not going to go out there and, and make things considerably worse. But, you know, we're, we're at the, we're at the peak of a colossal expansion. You know, this is one of the greatest expansions of, of wealth and peace and population, just numbers of people that we've ever seen in history. And so what that means is that we are way, way overdue for some sort of cataclysm, for some sort of, you know, black death or, or, or whatever else. Now, I, I, mean, I realize that's, that's kind of depressing. Um, but, but that's part of the, 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 it's not something to be feared for itself. Um, it, it's part of the natural cycle of history. And, you know, if, if there's, if you, if you boil it down to the simplest possible level, you know, if we were a herd of deer in a forest and we bred to the point that we've bred, you know, anyone would look at that situation and go, well, the population is going to crash, you know. And so, um, you know, the, but the important thing to do is to, is to keep focusing on the truth, whatever it is. Because the, the more that we understand the truth, the more that we can take the right actions, the correct actions, to uh, the benefit of ourselves, our family, our tribe, our friends, um, and, and people in general. And so... Um, I don't disagree with you. I, I do think that there is a, is a possibility of, um, I don't think there's just a possibility. I think that Western civilization will be saved. I think that Western civilization will survive. 
I just think it's going to be a much more unpleasant process than making sure that a few elections are won. <laughs> you could be right about that. I mean, when the crisis occurs, there are men and women of action who will leap in to achieve particular goals. Those doers are not the theoreticians. And as I've always said, the point of the theoreticians, of the educators, of the people who can teach people to think critically and who can bring right evidence and reason to bear on these kinds of problems, you, you want to make sure that the, the men of action are pointed in the right direction when right. the crisis occurs. That to me, because in, in the past, crises have occurred as they did in, in Germany in the 1920s and early 1930s and as it did in France in the 18th century and as it did in, in, um, uh, in Prussia and right. So it, it's always happening. These crises will occur for, it's not just Malthusian reasons, but just generally the more successful a society gets, the more parasites you attract, the more parasites you attack, uh, you attract the weaker society gets. And then when it collapses, there's a, a huge problem. Or another way of putting it is that smarter people get in charge of a society, uh, which causes a great organization of resources which raises the population levels and then the marxists come in and say well the smart people are exploiting you and it's terrible and you've got to drive them out and they're horrible people and they're racist and they don't like you and they're the the, the capitalist class and the bourgeoisie so everyone gets angry this is what's happening in venezuela they drive out the smart people they drive out the competent people and then the population begins to go back down to its original levels because it's not swelled by the steroids of intelligence anymore and uh, this is happening in south africa it's a terrible terrible cycle but um, my, my point has always been educate people so that when the crisis occurs – and you're right. I don't think it's going to be one election or two elections that's going to solve it, although hopefully it's a softer landing. When the men of action decide to really make things happen, uh, we want to make sure that we get the founding fathers and not the aforementioned Lenin and Trotsky uh, so that we can get people moving in the right direction. The crisis will occur. We want people to understand it is not freedom that has failed. It is force and falsehood that has failed. And that way they can at least, with the energy of their personalities and the decisiveness of their ubermensch natures, they will be able to pull society probably quite unwilling in the right direction because at least we blazed a trail. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And and I would actually say that, and, and this touches on something, but there's so many people that want us to like get into a debate on religion someday. And, and, and this is not that day. I'm sure we will at some point. But but this actually does go to where, um, why you want not just good men, but you want good God-fearing men to be the men of action. Because the one thing that you do not want is the men of action or the man of action who believes he's a god? Hmm. You know, I, I, the 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 one thing that I, I think I think I can convince any atheist of the desirability of religion in general and Christianity in, in particular is that at least if a man worships a god, he will not believe that he is a god. Hmm. And, and 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 that may sound ridiculous. No, not and at yet, all. If you look at the number of people throughout history who have uh, committed some of the, the most heinous acts and stuff, it's, it's amazing how many of them, in their insanity, proclaim their own divinity at some point in time. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like a uh, you know, obviously Stalin never did. Um, but but even, even someone like Hitler, who, who never proclaimed himself a god per se. He wanted a um, church of Nazism. Well, he did want a church of Nazism, but but he did definitely 
um, take on the metaphorical role of things like, you know, the father of the nation. And so, you know, stuff that is sim symbolically, semiotically divine. And, and, and that, above, that clearly, above all, is the one thing that we absolutely want to avoid, which is, you know, have a sense of humility. Um, that I think is key, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but humility is the fundamental virtue, because if you are arrogant enough to think that you are the measure of all things, you are lost uh, and, and usually extraordinarily destructive. Um, if you want to build a bridge, you have to surrender yourself to the reality of physics and tensile strength and, and load-bearing whatever you need. And if you think that your mere willpower is going to keep the bridge up, you're going to send people down a deep, deep chasm. And I know that atheists um, dislike the reality that uh, Marxism was specifically atheist and anti-Christian uh, in nature. But the reality is, let me sort of give you a little um, synopsis of, of what I think and, and let me know what you think. The one thing I think where the Marxists did believe that they were God is, is the Christians, of course, you believe in the soul, that a man was made in God's image, and that to attempt to make man into something he is not is a sin. It is a rejection of the divine not to say, let us anticipate and understand what man is and design society in accordance with man's nature. That man is not infinitely malleable. There are, of course, environmental influences. You know, if you grow up in a Mandarin-speaking culture, you'll speak Mandarin. That's all fine. But human nature, human morality, human identity, uh, the fact that we all respond to incentives, the fact that a lot of us fear death, the thing, all of these things are foundational to human nature. And it's, it's immovable. It, it, it is as immovable as God's nature because man is in God's image. And so there's this humility that you need to design society around a human nature that is inviolate. And, and to violate that is a, a grave a sin. It is to reject God. It has a false God uh, before God, which is an infinitely malleable human nature. I'm probably way out of my depth theologically, but to sort of close off this particular perspective, one of the things that I've always felt enormously hostile towards with regards to socialism in general, central planning, but Marxism in particular, is this idea that we can just create a new man. See, we, we just yeah. make this society, and he was called the new Soviet man. We're just going to make a new man. When we change our relationship to the means of production, we get a man who is no longer selfish. We get a man who's going to surrender all of his self-interest to the good of the collective. We're going to get people who are going to love to work even though they don't even get paid. We're going to get a new kind of man. We are infinitely malleable when you're poured in, like, like water. You pour it into any container, it becomes the shape of that container. Now, Christians understood this as a foundational sin. But the Marxist, by having no God above them and by having no absolutes in human nature, felt that they could redesign human nature to suit their ideological conceptions. Now, that theory alone is wretched enough. However, they were so dedicated to their theory that when people didn't fit their theory, they destroyed people rather than alter their theory. You know, like uh, uh, kids, you see this when you, you have kids, right? You see the, your kids working on a painting or a picture, and it doesn't go the way they want it to, and they just <laughs> crumple it up and throw it away. And this rage at the inability, uh, or they would perceive it as the unwillingness of human nature to alter itself towards their fantastical conceptions of what society should be and what human beings should be, they destroyed people by the tens of millions rather than admit the theory was false. That, to me, is an arrogance. And if it takes a belief in the divine 
For people to stop forever thinking that human beings can be endlessly engineered according to the whims of central planners, by God, sign me up for a front seat in the pew. I'm going to lift up my voice and make a joyful sound. No, I, I could not possibly have said it better. I mean, honestly, that was probably the best sermon I've heard in two years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the oh, the irony. Um, but it's true. And, you know, you saw the same behavior out of Hitler at the end. You know, he was so disenchanted with the failure of the German people to live up to his expectations that he refused to surrender. He wanted them to be exterminated because they had failed his vision. You know, and, and that's, that is the madness of the genuinely arrogant. I mean, you're often accused of being arrogant. I'm often accused of being arrogant. And, you know, in, in some contexts, those accusations are true. But Speak for thyself, you know, brother. I'm as humble as the day is long. But sorry, go ahead. No, but, but, but where it counts, you know, I mean, Cernovich gets the same thing. Mm. Um, and, and, and Milo, absolutely. But the interesting thing about all three of you guys is that where it counts in terms of you know, where your, your genuine uh, spirit is with regards to your understanding of the world and your place in it, you guys are all very humble. And, um, and I, I suspect, actually, that uh, even the God Emperor is considerably more humble in that sense despite the fact that, you know, everything is always the best this and the best that and everything's going to be, be successful and stuff. But if you look, if you look at his actions, you can see that, that uh, he doesn't believe that he's the measure of all things. I mean, I was really startled at, during the inaugural address when he talked about how um, we shouldn't fear because we're protected and we're protected by the men and women of the armed forces. Da, 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 da. It's like, okay, great. And then he said, and, and also we're protected by God. <laughs> I, I mean, I've known, I've met Donald Trump. I've, I've known about Donald Trump since, you know, high school. And I mean, this is not a religious man. I, I, not someone that struck me that way. But what, what that told me was that this is somebody who, upon being elevated to power, was more cognizant of his own limitations. And, and that is, is the real test of a man, is when you give them power, when you give them influence, when you give them fame and attention, um, does it go to their head and cause them to start you know, behaving more like an animal, thinking they can get away with whatever they want? Or, or does it cause them to suddenly become more philosophical and more reflective and more... Uh, cognizant of their actions and, and the significance of their actions and the, and the harm they can do. He, I have no proof of this. It's just just my thought. But I, I know that in order to gain the presidency, he had to meet with a lot of religious leaders. There seems to be a spiritual element coming off the man that I have not seen in the past. And I'm, I'm not sure that he could do what he's doing based on his own will alone. I believe that he is surrendering to what he would consider or may directly call a higher power. That's I'm no proof for any of that. It's just my gut feel. So, you know, take it with as much grain of salt as you want. But the reality is, of course, he's humble because he's not telling you what to do with your life. He's trying to get other people to stop telling you 
what to do with your life. He's trying to get other people to stop taking your money. He wants to reduce regulations by 75% or more so the people with guns aren't constantly telling you what you can and can't do. Isn't that humility, the very fundamental humility to say, I don't know what is best for you to the point where I'm willing to pull out the weaponry of state power. You must decide for yourself. I'm going to stop with all this taxes. I'm going to stop with all this social engineering. I'm going to stop with all this wealth wealth distribution or at least some of it because you must be the master of your own destiny. I cannot live your life for you and I cannot force you to be good because in the forcing, good evaporates. You cannot force people to be good any more than you can rape someone into loving you. So I think that there is a profound humility and this is what is so tragic comic about all the people who say he's a fascist. It's like, assholes, he's reducing the size and power of the state. If that makes him a fascist, who the hell was before? Who made the state so much bigger? Isn't that much more fascist? How can it be more fascist than the people who grew the state? It's getting smaller. It got smaller by a bunch of people in the State Department just today. Well, I'm not convinced that you're not secretly a theologian because you also just concocted a a really effective argument for the existence of free will. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've done free will up the yin-yang on this show over the the years. But but it's... It is an interesting point, and you know, I mean, it, it, and to be honest, it is the same response that that you would make to the idea of God as a divine dictator. I mean, if God is a divine dictator, then you know, why would He give you the option of? Why aren't Jesus. we in a celestial prison? Why aren't we in the the uh, the the uh, deific uh, equivalent of uh, the the Gulag Archipelago? I mean, why aren't we Alexander Solzhenitsyn? I mean, yeah, God turns us loose uh, in an empty universe and gives us all the free will we can handle, and then what gets accused of being a dictator? No prisons around <laughs> here. It, 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 it does seem a bit strange, but uh, um, but it, it's it's precisely the same thing, and you know, I, I do think that that it does behoove us, you know, as people look to us, you know, saying what, you know, what do you think? What do you think we should think? It it, it does behoove us to remember that that doesn't make our thinking any more correct. You know, it doesn't matter whether one person is watching your podcast or 500,000. That has no impact on the correctness of your thinking or of my thinking. And so, if anything, it just it puts more of a spotlight on us and puts more of a target on us for the critics, which actually I kind of find energizing myself because um, you know, the more the more that I know people are looking for me to screw up, the more I'm motivated to you know run through that thought process one more time or you know, go ahead and make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Because I know that there's going to be 500 people looking for me to screw up. And that's just, and that's just my fans. (laughs) (laughs) That's just my family. No, and it's funny, you know, people, it's like you're, it's like you're bench pressing, you know, and people are like, well, I'm going to go stand on his weights so that he can't do what he's doing. And it's like, wow, that's really hard, but you know what I'm going to get out of this? A whole lot stronger. Because these muscles grow through resistance. So, of course, you want people to oppose you. I mean, what, what fun is it playing tennis on your own? I mean, you want, and you want the best people to oppose you so you get better at what you're doing. And you want to be soundly beaten so you're enthusiastic to come back. It gets boring if you win all the time. So, yes, match your wits against the strongest and then see what you can do. Well, 
now we're getting into the socio-sexual hierarchy because obviously, you know, that, that, that thinking is so anathema to the, the lower ranking source, the gammas, you know, the, the ones who are prone to SJW. I'm, I'm working on a, a sequel to SJW Always Live, right? Um, as, uh, SJW, SJW's Always Double Down. And one of the things that I found that I have to <laughs> Sorry, get Sorry, it's, it's, it's also because you've doubled the number of books on it, just doubling down yourself, but go on. But um, the, what I realized was that I, in this book, I actually have to get into the psychology of the gamma a little bit because that's what's so often driving the SJW. When we're looking at the psychology of the gamma, obviously this does not cover the female SJWs, but going back to what you said about the levels of testosterone dropping, one thing that we've observed is that um, the, the male gamma thinking is essentially feminine in, its, in, in a lot of its mechanisms. And so I, I think that, uh, that hopefully through examining that psychology on the male side, it can, it can relate to the, the female SJWs as well. I don't know yet. I'm still working on that. And, and you know, this is it's not a massive tome or anything, so it's not like I'm going to be going into huge detail. But uh, it, was, it was interesting to me to realize that even though I didn't intend to get into it, um, it was necessary just so that we could build a predictive model for what SJWs are going to do in certain given situations based on what we're witnessing. Great. Well, uh, I really want to appreciate, uh, express my appreciation for the conversation. As always, the time flies, and I wish we could keep going. But um, I just wanted to remind people, I mean, Vox, Vox's books are great. Um, Social Justice Warriors Always Lie, Taking Down the Thought Police, um, now more relevant than ever. And Conservatives: How Conservatives Betrayed America. Um, I'm glad to see that title in the past tense. Uh, we'll try and keep it deep in the rear view. Uh, also check out his blogs, uh, very thought-provoking, very stimulating, Vox Populi and Alpha Game. And of course, if you need any um, game design, he's your guy to go to and check out Info Galactic, which is a Wikipedia not run entirely by social justice warriors or even partially, if I understand this correctly. And uh, Castelia House Publishing, check out their books. We'll put the links to all of those below. Vox, always a great pleasure to chat, my friend. Thank you so much for your time today. Great talking to you again.